I'm an American. Welcome. This is the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. I'm your host today, Delaine England, and the Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to our families and our communities. We're so happy to have you join us today. We have a great lineup. We have great Liberty Dad, Mike Brown, that is with us. Mike, I want to give a really great introduction to you, but I feel like I know you so well. I didn't really do any research. I didn't pull anything up online. You're not on Facebook. So um, (laughs) the the deal is Mike is a great Liberty dad. He has kids. He's a great father, a great husband. I know because I know his wife really well. He's a phenomenal husband. And he he's he's fascinating. He's always fascinated me because Mike just something happened where he just got liberty in his blood because it's not something he was necessarily raised with. I know his parents and he doesn't, he doesn't raised and taught and trained and educated through his, through his early years, but something happened. I'd love to know what it is, what he drank, what it happened, but he just turned out to be this amazing, loving Liberty man. And his wife is also such a loving Liberty mom, amazing family. And they've done so much. They create so much value, but here is the clutch. Mike is a criminal. He has received papers that he is not allowed to go on to the to the grounds of Davis County School Board. So Mike, like what happened to you? He went from the nicest guy ever, like this total sweet nice guy to going to be this criminal. What did you do? Tell us about this school board meeting. Yeah, well, thanks for the intro. So it looks to be deceiving. So I'm I'm a nice criminal, I guess. So exactly, one of the nicest criminals I know. No <laughs> That's doubt. right. That's right. Well, over the past year, I've been you know going to several board meetings um, and just speaking up for you know my kids. I have five boys in the school system, and you know the school district has done a lot of weird things. You know, starting with last fall with COVID and doing a hybrid model and different things. So I've gone to, you know, several meetings and spoken. So this last month was no different. I, you know, wanted to give public comment because I I feel it's important that they hear from the parents and and not always, you know, just hear one side. So, so I just interrupt quickly. I just want to, I just, I meant to say this, but between Mike and his wife, they have five degrees. So these are highly educated people. These aren't like people that just don't know what's going down. They are really highly educated. And then you go to the school board meeting and tell us what happens. Yeah. So went to the meeting and signed up for public comment. I was there with a few um, other parents, you know, moms uh, primarily, and we were about to go into the room to, you know, get ready for the, the meeting. And I noticed that the chairs were all, you know, a few feet apart. And I thought that was weird because, you know, the COVID protocols are over and it just seemed weird. So one of the moms said, well, we'll just, you know, put them together and sit together. So we go in there and I'm sitting with, you know, three moms and we're just chatting, you know, before the meeting started. And then all of a sudden, uh, 
the school board president, John Robinson, comes over and says, folks, we need to move the chairs three feet apart. And I just simply said, how come? He said, well, you come into our rules, you come into our room, you have to follow our rules. And, you know, I just a natural reaction. I was just pushing back and I said, whose room is this? Is this your room? You know, maybe a little snarky, but still, you know, he was obviously just trying to to command the situation and to intimidate us. And then right at that moment, he said, do you want to stay, Mr. Brown? If you guys don't move the chairs, I'll have you escorted out. And at that point, I was like, oh, my gosh, talk about taking it to another level. And I totally felt that, you know, feeling of intimidation, like, man, this guy is he's kind of out of control. And so it really shook me, you know, and I was like, dude, what just happened? So, <laughs> so, and then he gets on the mic and says, folks, we'll start in 30 seconds, you know, after uh, everybody moves their chairs apart. And I was just like, what the heck? So, so we moved our chairs, you know, a little bit apart. I just backed mine up a little bit. And so then I was already signed up, you know, second person to give comment. And so, and I was going to speak about, you know, the role of the school board, according to their own, you know, organizational chart, and then also about CRT. But I had to mention, I said, you know, in the microphone, I said, just for those that are watching, you know, this just happened, you know, John Robinson just threatened to throw me out for sitting within three feet of my friends. And as soon as I said that, he, you know, attacked me and said, Mr. Brown, if you don't stay on comment, I'm going to have, you know, you removed and, and all this stuff. And, and then he told the the timer lady said, you know, make sure you adjust uh, his time. And then I said, well, add 30 seconds back. He just interrupted me. So anyway, he, he totally was just threatening and, and attacking. And I was just bringing up what he had done and he didn't like that. I called him on it, I guess. So, so I gave my comment. That was it. I, you know, had to leave the meeting early, you know, enough said, okay, that was crazy. And uh, we were done. Well, almost a week later, I get a knock on my door, wakes me and my whole family up. And the head security guy for Davis School District was there with two bountiful police officers behind him. And he said, um, we're here to, to give you this notice that you will be trespassing if you come on any Davis School District property. <laughs> and I and I know the security guy, and he's usually a super nice guy. And I was just like, "What in the world?" And there he is with two police officers, you know, you know, handing me this this threatening letter. And I was like, "Geez!" And on the letter, there's no reason given. There's no law cited that I broke. Like nothing. Like no due process at all. It just said, "Hey, if you come on school property, you're you are." Um, you know, going to be a criminal basically. So, <laughs> so guilty until proven innocent. So, so that happened. The meeting was on the 13th and I got the letter on the 20th and, and here we are. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> that is so amazing. And so in the letter, I've read the letter. It doesn't charge you with a crime. It doesn't say you're not yeah. allowed to come because you behaved badly because you yelled at people because, I mean, it just doesn't give a reason as to why you're excluded. Yeah, there's no reason at all. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. There's nothing cited. No law, no anything. They didn't even make anything up and put it on there. They just said, hey, if you come on property and like, OK, yeah, like like that's legal. You know, <laughs> like how does that right. <laughs> how is that yeah. constitutional legal at I, all? I mean, this is not. so amazing that we have these people that are elected to represent us as school board is there to represent the parents and the students. 
That's who they're, they're our elected representatives. And yet they're acting like the school is theirs. Like they have ownership of it. Um, yeah, so what, exactly. do, you have, do you have any plans? Do you have something that you are thinking you're going to do about it? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm, I'm reviewing all my options right now, you know, getting counsel from various, uh, various avenues, um, you know, because this obviously is, is an injustice because it's very nothing, much an injustice. Nothing was cited. And, you know, to me, it's just, they're trying to intimidate me as a parent and to, you know, set an example of me. I don't know. Because the thing is, if they can do it to me, they can do it to anybody that wants I to. That is the key. Yeah. <laughs> that is very much so, the point. Mike is that they can just arbitrarily come to you. And it's like, well, we don't like what you said. So we're not going to let you come to the school board meetings anymore. And just tell you that, I mean, being arrested is pretty serious and being arrested for trespassing is actually a very serious crime. And yet you, we have every legal right to go on to the property of the government. We have every right to do that. And we have a right to assemble and we have a right to speech. You have a right to go speak your mind. That is the whole point of the school board meeting. That is why they exist. They exist because we actually got a law passed and passed a law that they have to hold one because they weren't holding them and said, you have to hold a school board meeting for the public to come so you can address parents and public's concerns. And then they're taking anybody who says something that they don't like and just saying, ex nay, you can't participate. So this is a really serious problem. This is in Davis County. I would invite anybody and everyone to write your school or call your school board members um, up and just address this issue with them because I consider this extremely, uh, extremely important issue. If you read the Utah Constitution, it says that parents are the primary, it is the parents' primary responsibility to educate their children, that schools are a resource for that. Schools do not have the primary responsibility to educate our children. We as parents do, and the schools are a resource to assist us in doing that. Exactly. And like I mentioned, I brought up in my public comment, it's actually an organizational chart that was in the Davis School District's own annual report from 2020, and it was brought to my attention. They have this chart in there, and it's it clearly shows who's at the top. It says citizens of Davis County, in other words, the parents that are on top of the school board and then the superintendent. And I, I actually referenced that when I spoke in June and gave them each a copy as a reminder, because, you know, it's important to have that on record that they are reminded that they are elected officials and that uh, they're supposed to be public servants. And so I referenced that again in this, this public comment of which, um, you know, all this stuff happened. So, but it was interesting that, you know, Mr. Robinson didn't know who I was because he threatened me personally before and said, I can have you thrown out, Mr. Brown. And, you know, right. so obviously, you know, I struck a chord there and, you know, it's taken it to a different level. That you can't, you can't do that. You can't just intimidate your constituents. You know, you work for us and it's totally backwards right now. It is backwards. I think that's well stated and it shows what happens when people get power, which is why the founding fathers wanted to have this checks and balances and the separation of powers. That is a very vital principle to our constitution and to our freedom is there's checks and balances and there's separation because when they know from experience, they knew that what happens is human nature when one person gets a lot of power, 
that it, they very often tend to abuse that power and assert authority over people and their freedom. And so I think Mr. Robinson does need a reminder of what his responsibility is, what he was elected to do, and what power he really has. Uh, I'm I am just very upset about this happening. I mean, you've made it, you've made it light, and you've made it. You tried to stay really positive about it, but I find it just excruciatingly offensive that someone from the school board would treat a parent in this manner in public, and then and then to to send you to serve your papers, to spend the kind of time and energy to go serve your papers. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there is a long train of abuses over the last year with this school board. Last summer, um, when a lot of parents were actually showing up because of the, the hybrid schedule they were coming up with, um, there were, you know, probably a couple hundred people yeah. there, families, and we were on yeah. the, the lawn and all of a sudden they turned the sprinklers on us. Yes. And, you know, they claim, well, it's just automatic, but, you know, sin of omission. They knew they were coming on. So you have that. And now to this day, now they've fenced off that grass area where they can't even, you can't even walk on the grass because it's, they think it's their grass. (laughs) And now we can't even get in the building in some instances without showing our ID. And just a couple months ago, some parents who were coming to give public comment were just a few minutes late and they wouldn't let them in. I mean, all this is, is trying to limit our free speech. I mean, that's that's the blatant thing. And the whole three feet chair thing, it's to limit the number of people that can come in there. I mean, all of it is is a threat to our freedom of assembly and a freedom of speech. And they're trying to limit that because they don't like what the parents are saying. Oh, heaven forbid, um, we elected you. So it's just so backwards right now. And I'm just at the tip of the spear right now, being the one getting this ridiculous notice. But I mean, parents need to be aware that this is the mindset of the leader of Davis County School Board. So, you know, I I think parents in Davis County should specifically email Mr. Robison and ask, you know, why are you limiting the free speech of parents? And his his email is jrobison at dsdmail.net. And it's Robison, not Robinson, no N. So Jay Robison at dsdmail.net and simply ask him, you know, why he's doing this. Because, you know, it might be me this time. They're going to try it mm-hmm. again with others, believe me, unless we do something. If they get up. away with it, this is just the beginning. They absolutely yep. will. And I also have reached out to some of the other school board members. I haven't been able to talk to them yet, but I've reached out to the school, other school board members and saying, what are you doing to rein in his power? Like, would you, do you support this behavior? Like, did you saw what he did to a private citizen who is there concerned about his children and their education? And, and nobody stood up, nobody stood for you. Nobody came to your, um, I mean, not that you need to rescue, but nobody came and stood in your defense or stood up for you. Um, they all sat there and allowed it. But I, I have heard that other people on the board are also intimidated by him. Um, yeah, I believe I, it. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's just, he's running the show and he will put people in line. He's trying to put parents in line now. And, and I'm, uh, I'm sad to say this is not a isolated situation and it is not a problem that only belongs to Mr. Robison. It is a problem that is happening. It's sweeping not just across our nation, but our even in our state of Utah, in other districts, there 
people in these positions of power are behaving in very similar fashions. People are literally getting arrested and they're getting charged for going to their school board meetings. And I mean, we both have a friend that got charged for going to her school board meeting and attending, which is a constitutional right that we have. And it's really more than a right. It's also a responsibility to go to these school board meetings. Even if we don't have children in school, it still affects our society and our communities and, um, and everyone that we associate with. I mean, heck after this happened and and I told you, I was literally shaken because it threw me off. And I thought, you know, when I listened to the recording that my voice would sound shaky because he totally was intimidating and just threatening me. And so here I, I'm really expecting an apology letter of how he acted. You know, he's supposed to be the leader here. And what do I get? I get a, you know, he doubles down and threatens me. I'm like, okay, this is not okay. This is not going to stand. And believe me, I'm not going to stay quiet on this. So, I mean, Robison needs to resign. He is not fit to lead this school board at all. Not with that temperament, not with these actions, not at all. He needs to go. I, I really agree. I think that, that, that not only should the citizens and the parents call for his resignation, but I would like to see that school board members also just ask him politely to please resign. And then he can be replaced and he certainly should be taken. He certainly absolutely at least should be taken from this position. He should not be the chair of the school board. So I invite everybody to write him and to write other school board members and invite them to do that. It's Jay Robison, R-O-B-I-N-O-S-N at dsdmail.net. So I, I hope that everybody will take, take time and just, write a quick email, make a phone call, call him or write a quick email and just say, it's time for you to step down. Yep, exactly. That's, I think that's the least we can do because I mean, he'll, I, I think overall, they don't like that there have been so many parents that have been more awake. You know, we should have been doing more before this last year, but all the stuff from last year really woke up a bunch of us to, you know, come to the aid of our, our, our kids in the schools and to understand what's really going on you know, with how they're treating us. And now not only are they disrespecting our kids, you know, with mandates and such, but they're disrespecting the parents. (laughs) And in Utah, like you said, I mean, we have a lot of, a lot of recourse as parents. Like we are the, the main, you know, person in charge of our, our own kids and these, you know, school administrators need to understand that. <laughs> so that's why I love just pointing out the organizational chart, because that's just like basic knowledge. And it's from their own, <laughs> their own report that obviously they don't, they don't believe in. They just threw it in there. But still, they need to be, you know, called out on that. Like, hey, no, we're in charge of our kids, not you. Enough of this. So, but if more, more parents stand up, you know, it, it'll help. I mean, there's strength in numbers. Um, you know, they're trying to just pinpoint me and target me as just an individual parent. But if more of us will stand up, then they can't get away with this intimidation just on me. So, you know, Mike, you brought up such a great point because at the time before the revolution, King George III, he sent his men over to capture Samuel Adams and John Hancock because he said, those are the ones who are stirring everyone up. And if we can get them arrested and get them intimidated and to stop their, their cries for liberty, we will shut this whole thing down. And that yep. is exactly what I see. It's like, if we can get rid of Mike, 
Mr. Brown and stop him because he's inciting these people and saying, we want parental, we want parental rights in our children's education. We want input. We don't want critical race theory taught. We don't want our children to be suffocated at school and masked. We don't want our children to have to be tested in order to go to school. We don't want you to just send our kids home and tell them to go to school at home. I mean, they don't like anything that we stand for. They have fought us on every single count, every single one they have fought against the children and against the parents. As far as I'm concerned, anyone who thinks as a teacher, as a mother of six, and as a teacher, anyone who thinks that it is the children's responsibility to protect the adults needs to do a morality check on themselves because it is not the children's responsibility. And where, especially in this situation, it can't be excused because we have no children in the United States that have died from COVID without having a serious, very serious medical, medical condition, um, mostly leukemia. Almost every child that has died with COVID had leukemia. So they were already in grave situation. And so why would we subject our children to this behavior and this treatment when we know that it causes so much damage to them? And instead of uh, listening to the parents, listening to the, the respect of those who they are supposed to serve, they drill down and say, no more. You know, they, they act like we are the enemy. They treat us as if we are the enemy. So um, yes, Mike, I really appreciate you being on. And I so agree with you. I think this is very disturbing and we have to act because if we don't act, they see that as it's okay. It's all right if we treat the children this way. And I know that, you know, we can look at this coming year and we need to stand up now because we don't want to wait until school starts and they come in and say, um, but thank goodness we have a law that they can't mask us, ma mask our children. But if they come in and say, you can't come to school unless you test, which I anticipate that's what they will do. If you don't want your children to test, it is absolutely against the law. They cannot require you to test. They will tell you that they can, but it's already in code. They can't. And a friend of mine, Holly, I'm having her on next week. She actually said, I'm not doing it. She sued the school board and she won. And so um, she filed the lawsuit. So she, again, just like you are standing for all parents, she's standing for all parents. So she took on this extremely expensive lawsuit and, um, and won. And now uh, we can know that the law does stand up. It works and we can stand for our freedoms and our children do not have to be tested if we don't want them to. And if they don't want to. So thank Mike, you're awesome. You're a great, a great Liberty parent. And you've been just so great. I've really enjoyed working with you in the churches and we really appreciate your service. And I'd love to help you with whatever you decide to do with this, but we do need to stand up. Thank you. Sounds great. Yeah. Thanks, Delane. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Appreciate it. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back in just a minute. Stay with us.
Welcome back. We're so glad that you're joining us. This is the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Moms Show. I'm your host today, Delane England. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front. We are absolutely there when it comes to our families and our communities. And we have a great defender of the home front today with us. Another one, Gaud Maragani. Did I say it right, Gaud? Yes, you did, Delane. Okay, great. I wanted to pronounce it right. Um, I am so happy to have you with us, Gaud. Gaud is an attorney. He lives in Salt Lake, and he has been very involved and working very hard. He's brilliant. He's very smart. He is a great researcher, and he's been working very hard on what I call election integrity because I, I love what you're doing. You've been doing such great work. And it is, I think, important to really everyone who cares about our country, everyone who wants to live in a republic, our voter integrity, election integrity is essential. And it isn't about an election and it's not about a candidate, but it is about making sure that everyone's vote counts and that only those that should, that are legal citizens and are legitimately can vote the only they only their votes are counted. And so, Gaud, how did, tell us, how did you get involved in this? Like, what happened to you that you decided, I've got to get involved? Well, um, so I'm a big Trump supporter. And some people may know who I am because I went to a lot of Trump rallies in Utah wearing a Gay for Trump t-shirt and driving a Ford Thunderbird with Trump flags in it. And it was after the 2020 election happened and, you know, I think we saw that there was a lot of fraud. And I think a lot of people think that the election was stolen, that I realized, you know what, we've been too trusting of the people that are running our elections, and it's time to get involved. First, what I did is I actually ran for the, the Utah Republican Party State Central Committee. And I had uh, three points to my platform. The first one was election integrity. The second one was banning all mandates, so these mass mandates, business shutdowns. And the third one was censoring Mitt Romney. Um, I ended wow. up coming up. <laughs> um, I ended up coming up a little bit short, but after that happened, the, the chairman of the Salt Lake County Republican Party actually asked me to chair an election integrity committee that, that they wanted to set up. So uh, I'm the chairman. I can't take credit for all the work that we've done because I have a I have volunteers that help me and everybody is on their own time um, and they're doing amazing work. And we have, you know, and, and our goal with doing this is trying to figure out all the vulnerabilities that we have in our voting system and then making suggestions that our state legislature can implement but also trying to find ways that voters can protect themselves because I don't think there's any guarantee that our state legislature will act. Um, and so it's really important that we empower voters to be able to say, hey, these are, these are steps I can take to make sure my vote counts the way I actually voted. Uh, and so that's how I got involved. That is so exciting. I think that is awesome that you just decided you cared about it and you were concerned. And so you ran, you decided to run. And I have to say, I really am impressed because so often when people run and they don't win, you see them drop out. You like never see them in anything again. So I love the fact that you've stayed involved. And, and I think it's really, I think it's such a blessing that you've taken on this issue of voter integrity because 
like I said, it's really important. We cannot survive as a nation if we, no country does. Um, anybody can take over your nation if your voting isn't real, if it's not valid. As Lenin said, let everyone vote. It doesn't matter. Anyone can vote. What matters is who counts the votes. Um, true words were never spoken by communists. So um, it's totally true. So how, what are you actually doing? Like, what are you, what's the ground game? What are you doing to, to verify or to check or see what the situation is? Yeah, so I can tell you about some of the, maybe a couple of the issues that we've actually found. Um, the way we've been approaching this is we make grammar requests. And, um, you know, so that's like you can open records requests to the government, to the Salt Lake County Clerk's Office. Um, oh, and just to be clear, we're only focused on Salt Lake County, right? Um, so we, we make requests to the Salt Lake County Clerk's Office, to the Lieutenant Governor's Office for information. And then we, we kind of analyze it. We've also talked to different people that have insight into what go, what's going on in the Salt Lake County Clerk's Office, and we're able to get information that way as well. Uh, just to give you an example of one issue that we found, we, we requested from the Salt Lake County Clerk's Office the number of ballots that they adjudicated in the 2020 general election. And just what that means is that if you vote by paper, and most people in Utah do, they either vote by mail or they drop it in a, in a ballot drop-off, the, the clerk's office, if there are problems with your ballot, so when they scan it through the machine, if it pops up as it's unreadable for whatever reason, for example, you use red pens so the scanner can't read it, you mark outside the box so the scanner is unable to tell uh, what how you voted, um, and various issues like that. I guess some people will draw pictures on their ballots or things like that. It then allows the clerk's office to adjudicate your ballot for one or more of the races where it's unclear. And what that means is you have, they set up a team of two and they look at your ballot and they try to determine how you vote or what they think you intended to do. So you can kind of see how when they do that, if they decide the wrong thing, they've now essentially stolen your vote, right? Now, you're not saying they're choosing who you voted for. They're, they're saying how you voted. Or do you mean they're, who you voted for? Who you voted for. They're, they're, they're trying, trying to, determine, to decide who you voted yes, for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so the machine, yeah. it gets scanned. The voting software looks at it and says, this is an unclear vote. I, can, I cannot count it as, as the software. So then people have to look at it and try to determine who you voted for, for whichever races the software has said it's unclear. Um, and so you can, you can kind of see how this is a big issue, right? We need to know how many votes they're adjudicating. So when we asked that question, the clerk's office actually came back and said, we don't track that data. What? We don't know. Yes. Um, are you serious? They say we don't track how many ballots are adjudicated? Yes, that is correct. Um, Gowd. Gowd. You're <laughs> You're not messing with me. It's not April Fool's uh, Day. I'm not kidding. That is they, exactly what they, they said. They literally said, we don't keep track of the ballots we adjudicate. We don't, no, no, we don't keep track of the number of the ballots number. that yeah. we have adjudicated. Correct. Yeah. Um, so what we did is we followed up with a second grammar request and we said, hey, we would like all of the documents you have that talk about ballot adjudication, emails, documents, uh, text messages, all communications. They came back and said, that will cost you about $210 to do that. Um, so 
what we did is we filed we filed an appeal. Uh, we a donor gave us money to to pay it, and so we're waiting for that data. But I think the the thing that's important for I want to kind of point out why this is really important. Number one is many of the races in Salt Lake County are extremely close. And just in, as an example, in this in the 2020 election, one of the at-large seats was won by a Republican by Lori Stringham. She only won her race by 1,500 votes. And so you can see, like, if the if the margin in the race is less than the number of ballots were adjudicated, we might be really interested interested in trying to go back and look to see what you did with those adjudicated ballots, right? And the second point, though, is from a voter perspective. I think the clerk's office should be tracking this and saying exactly why they're adjudicating ballots and telling that to voters so voters can prevent that from happening to them. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think there's any voter who submits their ballot and goes, oh, I, I hope the clerk's office tries to decide what I voted instead of just, you know. Doing I hope they make up the right one. You know, I can't decide, so I'm just going to let them choose for me. I mean, yes. And, and, you know, I've actually had that happen to me where they said my signature didn't match the signature they had on file because I sort of changed my signature over time. But that is exactly right. Like, we need to be educated. Like, why is my ballot not counting? What can I do to fix it so that I can make sure there's no problems, which, which obviously makes my ballot more accurate. But also, it saves a ton of money to the county. Because if they're not having to do that and send it back and do all this work and trying to figure it out, it's saving the county tons of money. The more clean it is, not just the more accurate, but also the more money we have for other things. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the distinction is though that the signature verification process happens first. After they verify your signature, they separate the ballot from the envelope. So when they scan it through and it comes up as an error, they can't go back to the voter to say, hey, what did you intend to vote here? I see. Yeah, because then you wouldn't have a secret ballot. So that's how they're giving us the secret ballot. Like they, exactly. they aren't looking to see who we voted for. Then it's not tied, although there's a number to it. It really is tied. But um, we'll, we'll forgo that for this conversation. So, um, yeah, so that means that instead of telling us, like they could do a public service kind of thing and even put it on the ballot. Here are the reasons that a ballot may be adjudicated. Make sure that you do this. Is that what you're saying? Like they could really help to educate people so we don't have so many Right, questions. exactly. So if they said we adjudicated 9,000 ballots in the 2020 election, and I'm just guessing, I'm not, you know, I'm not right, saying that's yeah. a number. Right. Here's why they were adjudicated. Some, a lot of people use red pen. People uh, mm -hmm. voted twice for the same race when you weren't supposed to, or things like this, then people could know that and they could say, oh, I don't, you know, let's say I, I made a mistake on my ballot. Let me go get a new one. Right. Yes. Okay. That's fantastic. And so how big of a group do you have of volunteers that are willing to work on this? I think we have uh, about nine people on the committee. Wow. That is amazing. Isn't that? So when you guys work on it, do you get together or do you just like divide and go to your own places and conquer? We, well, we do, we have weekly meetings uh, every Sunday uh, where we meet to kind of discuss uh, issues that we found and kind of the path forward. And then during the week, we communicate, but we all kind of, you know, work independently to, to on various assignments. That is fantastic. That is so awesome. And so what, 
at this point, what do you think? What are you thinking at this point? You, you, you mentioned that one race with Lori Stringham, only 1,500 votes difference. And there were several other. Even the gubernatorial race was extremely close, wasn't even very far. And it means that our governor only won. I mean, he, he became the governor on 39% of the votes of the Republican Party. So, um, and that was really quite close for a statewide race. Um, so when you're checking these ballots, are you checking every race or are you sticking to a specific race? No. Yeah, just, we don't have hands-on ballots at all. So what okay. we are doing is kind of, we are gathering the data that we can and seeing what we can do. I'll just, I can give you another example. Um, in the 2020 election, 52% of ballots in the Salt Lake, in Salt Lake County were dropped in the ballot drop boxes. Uh, what we asked the clerk's office for the, the uh, chain of custody for those ballot drop boxes. And what we found out is that the Salt Lake County clerk does not start tracking chain of custody until the ballots are at the ballot center. So what this means is they send out teams of two, they go open these ballot boxes, they take the ballots out, they do not weigh them or try to figure out how many ballots are in, in that box when they pick it up. They, could, they don't know what time it is that they've opened the, the Dropbox, so they could drive around for hours and hours. They could replace, and I'm not saying that happened, but I'm just saying no. like, without this type of- There's no chain, chain of, custody. of custody. There's yeah, no- we have no idea what happened. Which, and, you know, what, oh, yes, go ahead. I was going to say, and you know, like we all know they can look historically and figure out which precincts have which types of voters. So mm -hmm. it's going to be clear to them, you know, I live in Riverton. This is a very Republican area. So if you go and pick up the, um, the ballot drop box here, you're going to know it's a lot of Republican votes. So if you're a Democrat with bad intentions, you might go throughout some of those ballots, right? Exactly. And it, it used to be, there was a day when you would go, we have legally, constitutionally, we have voting day. So you would go and you would vote. And so there was completely clean chain of custody because you'd go to the voting poll, you'd go there, you'd vote. And there's numerous people that were over the ballots that were watching them. Then they would have at least two and often four people that would take those and they would not open the ballot box. They would just take it directly to the county and you had witnesses and you had, and, it, and there was just this one relay there and, and they did keep track. They said, okay, polls close at eight o'clock you need to have these ballots into us by 8.30 or whatever time. They knew, they only gave them enough time to leave their location to get there so they could really keep track of it. And, um, and people that were watching this chain of custody, they would sign for it. They checked their integrity. They checked their, what kind of people they were. And so we felt like we really did have some, some um, accountability over our elections and over our ballots. And then whenever, whenever they would open up and start counting, everyone from every race had a right to have two people there watching it. And when people open up the ballots, it's a no, not anyone from any party that's opening it, that then they would have two from each person on the ballot that was watching. They would open up the ballot and they could see, they were right there. They could see who voted for whom. And let didn't see who, but they could see what the ballot said and they, they would count right with them. And so they knew I've done it before. I've done that. And you know, it's just so there's it, the room's filled with people. You've got numerous people watching. There just isn't a way unless all those people were in, 
cahoots together, which would be very hard because you've got people from different campaigns. You watch and you count and you help them count. And so I feel like, of course, you're going to have a few mistakes here and there, but but nothing that could sway a vote unless you're one vote off, which they would you know, obviously count again. So we've really lost that completely in this broad, just mail ballots out to everybody. And then with this early voting where you have this huge time frame, and we don't know when you go down and you go to these where the boxes are, you have no idea who has access to those when they have access to them. They're sitting there for literally three weeks with no chain of custody, no accountability, no oversight to those boxes. And it's just so the whole system is so problematic to me. Yeah, I mean, so just on the going for, for the committee, what we're going to do to help people, because I like what you're talking about is what the ultimate goal should be. But I, I feel like it's going to be hard to convince people that we need to go back to this because so many people have gotten used to this idea. That they can just sit at home, mail their ballot yes. in and trust other people to handle their ballot properly. But what we're going to do is we're going to be putting out a report with our findings and our recommendations, um, both for the state legislature and then for voters. And just on this ballot drop box point, it's my view that 2022 could be a wave plus election if we can get a handle on our voting system and make sure that we don't have cheating going on. And one of the big ways we can do that is poll watching. We need. Yes. You know, we need patriots to come forward and be willing to, to volunteer their time to watch every part of the process. That ballot drop box issue, we'll have some suggestions on how the state legislature can help fix that, but it can, we can pull watch that. So it is possible that if we have people that are willing to spend the time, they can actually go with the teams of two, they can watch as they open those ballot drop boxes, they can follow them back to the clerk's office, and you can make sure that there's no opportunity for shenanigans. That's exactly right. That's a great advice, Gal, because what anybody can do it. All you have to do is let somebody that you support, whoever's on that ballot that you support, you just let them know, I would be willing to be a poll watcher. I will go do that. And nobody has to do it every time. If you say, you know, this will be my year, I'll go do it this year. It, it is late into the evening, um, but it, I actually find it very fun. There's a lot of energy and excitement and you're with other people and it really is kind of an ex fun, exciting time. And I would recommend that everybody, everyone really should take that responsibility and, and take a chance to do that because it's, it is essentially important to our, to our country and to our freedom and to our state. So yeah. do you have, do you have anything else you want to zip in here, Gal? We don't have too much time left, but do you have anything else you want to share with us? Um, I, no, I don't think so. I think I, look, the, we will, like I said, we will put out a report. I really hope that when we do, people will take the time to read it and that they will contact their state legislators and senators. We have to push them to, to do the right thing and to make our system more secure. We have a mail-in voting system, which means that it is extremely hard to ensure that only legal people are voting those ballots. It's extremely hard to, to actually ban ballot harvesting. It's extremely hard to make sure that we're checking, you know, we have all the verifications in place. So we need everybody to be involved and to help get this, get this, you know, past the finish line. We may have to volunteer to help go clean up the voter records because the voter records need yeah. to be cleaned up and that we did pass a law for that to happen. But I do want to make, I don't even know if you know about this, but we have decided 
um, a friend and I, Chris Kimball, we are going to hold a meeting next Wednesday, which is August 4th. And this meeting is for people who are concerned about voter integrity. And it's nothing more than signing an affidavit asking for a an audit to be done, statewide audit to be done. And this can happen. We can make this happen. All we need is people to just make a tiny little sacrifice, do something. So where it's going to be at Bountiful Park, which is 400 North. 200 west in Bountiful. It's right off the 400 north exit, just a block east of the uh, freeway on 400 north. And um, it, as I said, it will be Wednesday, August 4th. It's going to be at 7, uh, 7.30, 7.30 to 8.30. We are, it will take about an hour. We're going to have a notary public there. You can sign an affidavit. All, they, all you're signing is you're asking your representatives to vote for and to hold an audit, to do an election audit. And then you can make copies of that, make color copies and send one to your senator, send one to your led, your House of Representatives, uh, send one to your to the governor, to the lieutenant governor, send one to your county commissioners, just send a copy to just, and we will have the addresses there. We're going to have the addresses there and everything, make it super easy for you. And then you can just get these in the mail, get them out there. Because if we have literally thousands of people calling for an audit, it will happen. We have a representative who's already willing to sponsor the bill, but he needs backup. He needs support. And we need legislators to vote for it. The legislators will vote for it if they have support. What I'm concerned about is our governor and our lieutenant governor supporting it. And that's why our our legislators need to have overwhelming support. They need to really feel that the people, this matters to the people. So again, that is Wednesday, August 4th, Bountiful City Park, 400 North, 200 West, 7.30 p.m. We will also have a presentation on ranked choice voting. So you can come and learn about what ranked choice voting is, what it does, and you can make the decision. We're going to give you all the facts and you can decide if you think we should do that or not. Okay, so we just have two minutes left, and I just want to make sure everybody aware of another event coming up. This is Constitution Day. So who out there knows what day the founders signed the Constitution of the United States of America? If you guess September 17th, 1787, bingo, you got it right. So we are holding this Constitution celebration September 16th, 17th, and 18th. It's at the same park, Bountiful City Park, 400 North, 200 West. And it is really, as a school teacher, I found there was a federal law that says anyone receiving even a dime of federal funds must teach about the Constitution during Constitution Week. But the problem is, it's not in our curriculum. Teachers don't know enough about it to teach it. They have no curriculum to teach. And so I decided we would Try, you know, we can make it fun. We can make it engaging and interesting. So I founded Freedom's Light Foundation, and we've been doing this for 12 years. This will be our 13th year. And it's a place where teachers can bring their kids, bring their students, field trips uh, with thousands of, of children who come with their, their schools and have a field trip. And we have, and then families come, uh, teenagers come from school, Anybody is welcome. It's free. It's open to the public. We have founders. They get to actually meet through a reenactor, meet the founders and talk to them. And they tell their stories of what they did. We have a lot of what we would call obscure founders. It's not just the people that became famous. It's a lot of the people who did 
ordinary people who did extraordinary things so we could have freedom. Uh, we also teach with activities the principles of the Constitution. So you can come and learn why they found it, why they, our founders chose a republic. What are our rights? What did the Bill of Rights say? What do, what do they entail? And what that matters. So you're all invited. It's free. And I just want to remind everybody, you are the guardian of your liberty. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. 